This morning, we're starting a season that I'm calling 20 Days of Praise. And I've been praying about our approach to Easter. I do every year. Because Easter, listen people, Easter is, uh, is, a, is a season in which we have a strategic advantage as believers. Because all the church around the world is focusing on the resurrection of Jesus. And from that, power comes to the church. And so I always am real careful to pray about how we're supposed to approach Easter, and if you've been around very long, you know we've had 40 days of this and 30 days of that, and they've been good seasons. God has done cool things during those times. And this year I felt drawn to lead us in a time we're going to call 20 Days of Praise. Easter is on April 20, 20th, so April 1th through the 20th will be, uh, will be our 20 Days of Praise. April 1st is Tuesday, so I guess that begins our kind of mini Lent here at the Vineyard. But uh, at the vineyard, you don't have to give up anything for Lent. You take it on. You take on praise. You take on the character of praise. You take on the power of God. You take on the weapons of war. And you move forward in your walk with the Lord. So that's our plan, right? What's going to happen, you ask? All right, April 1 through 20. uh, The worship services beginning today and moving up into Easter will focus on praise. We'll focus on praising God, releasing releasing our praise to God. And that's what, that's what this morning's about. And this morning is, you know, I was up here kind of encouraging you in my own way to, uh, to praise God. And some of you maybe are new here going, why is that old man jumping around on the stage? Um, it's because I want to encourage all of you, with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, to release anything that you have to praise God with. Because that's a weapon of war that you have. And, uh, you know, you say, well, I kind of come to the vineyard because you never, you never push us. You know, you let us come at our own pace. And that's true. And what I was doing this morning wasn't a push. It was a pull. It was a pull. And here's what I mean by that. I mean, if you were stuck in a burning house, I would not push you out. I would run in and I would pull you out. And I see people day after day after day in their walk with Christ being defeated, being knocked down, being victims of the enemy's agenda, and they fail to use the weapon that's at their disposal, the weapon of praise. And so that was not a push. That was a hand of rescue. Saying, come on. If you've got a sound to make, make it. And praise the Lord with it. Say, I can't sing. You don't need to sing. If you've got two hands, you can smash them together, right? Smash them together and you make a joyful noise to the Lord. You say, I can't clap on beat. Who asked you to? Just clap, right? Make a joy. You'll catch on. person next to you will grab your hands and catch you. All right? Well, we're going to be praising the Lord. Each of the messages in this series will focus on some aspect of the power of praise and the release of God's power through our praise. We're going to have a great time of worship on Palm Sunday, April 13th. In the evening, there'll be no preaching that night. It's going to be a time of worshiping God, celebrating the baptisms of those who are going to be baptized. Tuesday nights in the season, beginning this Tuesday night, many of you know that we have a a prayer gathering that we do on Tuesday nights at 8 o'clock. It's open to everybody. Uh, During this season, it's going to focus on praise. It's going to focus on praising God. We'll do our praying. We'll do our interceding for the things that are turned in for prayer. But it's going to focus on praise. I'm going to call it the school of praise, all right? So if you're a person who goes, I'm not always sure what you mean when you say praise God, you come Tuesday night, no experience necessary. Every Tuesday night, 8 o'clock, for the next few weeks, I'm going to be focusing 
on the power of praise, how to release praise, and uh, finding your own voice of praise, okay? So that's going to be happening. Also, beginning uh, Tuesday morning, this coming Tuesday morning, when you wake up and check your email, you will have a surprise from us, and it will be one of 20 daily devotionals that we will be sending you each and every day, April 1st through the 20th. If you're on our email list uh, and you haven't spammed us or blocked us or something, then uh, you're going to get that. Each of these devotionals were written by one of four staff members, and I'm really pleased with the way the contributions came together. Many of them have to do with praising God. Others of them have to do with your walk with Christ. They're all meant to encourage and strengthen you in this time. All right? Good? Does that sound okay? I need to make this announcement. I've made a decision between services that I will not, N-O-T, be holding my DT300 class tonight at 4 o'clock. Canceled, okay? Not going to happen. Why, you ask? It's hard to explain how demanding having these kind of services is for anyone. And uh, it's not about physical energy. I can jump on this stage all day long. I can run with any of you. But there's a drain that comes when a person gives themselves to the flow of the Holy Spirit in the ways that we're enjoying anymore. And... uh, so I just don't think I'm going to be able to do the DT 300 class at 4, chili cook-off at 5, and then the baptism class at 6. I'm going to put all of my eggs in that baptism basket. All right? So that's why. So would you spread the word to the other DT 300 people? You've had four sessions with me. I've taught you everything I know about hearing from God. Go listen. Okay? You're done. You're graduated. There you go. Great. Today I'd like to talk with you about poisoning your arrows. You heard it right? Poisoning. Look it up on your phone. You won't find the word poison, but we're going to talk about poisoning your arrows. I want to start with a few facts of life. Number one, we are at war. Have you noticed this? We're at war. It has an internal component. The Bible says that you have a struggle going on inside of you. Your spiritual man and your carnal man are always struggling. Yes, it's an internal war. There's an external war, right? It's going on on the outside. You see things going on around you. You go, man, it feels like something is opposing me. That's part of the war. It's a private war, and it's a public war. Some of the war is very private to you, and some of it's even secret. You're not even letting it out, are you? Some of it's public. Some of it is the war that you struggle with when you're out there in company with others. But whether it's internal, external, public, or private, I want you to know this, it's all personal. It's all meant to hurt you personally. You should take this war personally. The Bible says that we should all be self-controlled and alert in 1 Peter 5, 8. For the devil is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So you should take this personally. That the opposition that you're facing in your life, you should take that personally because that ha- that's how he means it. We are living behind enemy lines and we are at war. But I also want you to notice that God promises victory. Have you noticed that? Have you been in the Bible, anybody? God promises victory. I mean, ultimately, we're going to be victorious. No matter what happens in our life, if our faith is in Christ, we're going to heaven after this. We like to say around here that the worst thing that could happen to you today is that you'll die and go to heaven. You'll get an ultimate victory. But I also believe that God wants to bring a present victory into your life. It's not just something that you have to wait for for after your last heartbeat, but God means to bring his kingdom power into your life so that you can have a present victory here and now. The Bible says in Psalm 110, verse 2, The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion. Catch this. You will rule in the midst of your enemies. 
The Bible says you will rule in the midst of your enemies. And so the fact that you have enemies in the spiritual realm is obvious to you, isn't it? Well, the Bible promises this victory that you will rule in the midst of your enemies. And then the, a third fact of life I want to put into your mind is that there is power in praise. There's power in praise. We've seen this in the church. We see it in the scriptures that when the people of God come together and release exuberant praise to him, we see his power move among us. We see inexplainable things, unexplainable things happen here among us. We see God's power, power poured out. Have you noticed that? So with these facts in, in your mind, I want you to know this. That when we train ourselves to lead with praise, we take on the posture of offense and we win every time. When we train ourselves, listen, to lead with praise. What do you mean by that? I'll get to that. When, when we train ourselves to lead with praise, then we take on an offensive position and we win every single time. Let me tell you what I mean by leading with praise. I need to tell you this by way of illustration. I don't know how to play euchre. Raise your hand if you're a euchre player. See, I'm not. I don't know how to play euchre. And the reason is because no one will teach me. Oh, you laugh. But I'm so serious. So there's lots of euchre that happens around this church. In fact, never mind. <laughs> don't have time to screw around too much today. Listen, there's lots of euchre that happens around this church. We have parties, euchre parties. The guys play every Friday night of the month or whatever. You know, they're playing. Every time I have been in a situation where someone has been playing euchre, and I walk up, and there's a space at the table, I go, hey, I'd like to play, but I don't know how. Can someone teach me? Yeah, you know what comes back. Ah, yeah, we're waiting for somebody here. Nobody wants to teach you, and you're snobs about it. You're euchre snobs. You are. So I don't really know how to play euchre, but I do know this, that there's some strategic advantage to leading. Is that right? Okay, see, that I know. So you lead and, and with your suit, and isn't that Trump or something? As in Donald, right? right? You lead with this. And that established the context, the controlling context of the rest of the game, right? Am I right? Okay. It's the same with spiritual warfare. When you train yourself to lead out against your enemies, lead out against your spiritual enemy with praise, you establish, you establish the controlling context. It's the trump card. It's the thing the enemy can't stand, is that when you praise God in spite of your negative circumstances... He can't stand it. And when you lead with praise, when you learn to respond to the attack with praise, every time you'll be establishing the controlling context, you'll be taking the offensive position, and you'll win. So we want to talk this morning about leading, learning how to lead with praise. There are different places in the Bible that I could show you that, but uh, one of my favorites is 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And we're going to look at all those verses together. I'll try to go fast. Second Chronicles chapter 20. This is a landmark event in the Old Testament that happened during the reign of King Jehoshaphat. Yep, of jumping Jehoshaphat fame. There is no evidence in the Bible that he ever jumped. 
But there is evidence in the Bible that he prayed, and there's evidence in the Bible that he was a strategic warrior. And war was common in those days. War was very common. It was part of life. But it wasn't the kind of war that we think about. It wasn't necessarily sending the military to some far-off place to fight against another military, and then whichever military won, there we go. We've established some sort of dominance. As you know from reading your Bible, it was a bloody thing that when there was war, often when the military was defeated, the, the prevailing army would come in and kill every living thing in the land, right? And I want you to think about what that says to us. It, it, it shows you how aggressive, it's a principle of aggression of the enemy. He doesn't just want to come and take away your sword. He wants to take out you and everyone you love. And so this passage is so very important to us. In this case, in, in uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, Jehoshaphat made a strategic decision as he was led by the Lord to do so. And his strategic military decision was this, that as they were being invaded by an army that, from a human standpoint, they had no they had, they had no, not a hope of prevailing against, that he put the praise people, he put the singers, he put the worshipers out in front of the army, on the front lines. That was his strategic decision. To put the worshipers out, he, he had a strategic decision, to, he made a strategic decision to lead with praise as the armies were prevailing against him. He led with praise. Does that make sense? And as a result of this decision and following the Lord in this way, his army, Jehoshaphat's armies, never had to shoot a single arrow. But the Lord conquered the armies that were coming. In fact, the hardest thing that the armies of Jehoshaphat had to do in this passage was it took them three days to gather up all the plunder from their, from their defeated enemy. That was the big effort. It's taken back what had been stolen from them because the Lord had done the fighting. Does that sound like a principle you'd like to have in your life? Jehoshaphat. Who was Jehoshaphat? He was the fourth king in the nation of Judah. He was the fourth king in the nation of Judah. He was 35 years old when he began to reign. He reigned for 25 years old. He died at the age of 60. He was a good king, the Bible says, that he walked in the ways of the Lord. But he was the king of Judah. Judah, you ask? Okay, some of you, you know, you're reading through your Bibles, if you're newer to the Bible, and you get, and now this guy's the king of Israel, and this guy's the king of Judah, can be a little confusing, right? Okay, I get that. Because prior to about 1000 BC, prior to the reign of King David, it was all one. But then who, uh, Solomon, David's son, followed, followed David to be the king over Israel. And then when Solomon died, there was a dispute about who was going to be king, and effectively a civil war broke out, so that, that the nation of Israel divided into two serious factions, Israel to the north and Judah to the south. And if you look at Judah here, you can see right there that Jerusalem was actually encompassed by Judah and ultimately became its capital. Now these two kingdoms had tension with each other, even though they were supposed to be brothers in Is of Israel, you know, brothers in the Lord. They had tension and sometimes even war with one another, for about 300 years, until 722 B.C., when uh, the Assyrians, they're up here somewhere, they came down, and they were expanding. They were, the, they were the big dog of the world at the time, and they effectively destroyed Israel as a geopolitical entity, as a, as an, as a nation. And so what remained was Judah. 
Now, in the time we're talking about with Jehoshaphat, both Israel and Judah existed. They were living and trying to live in some kind of, uh, some kind of understanding. This all happened with Jehoshaphat somewhere around uh, 800 years before the birth of Christ. Okay? Does that help? You sure? I can go over the whole thing again. No? We're good? Okay. What happened in the case of Jehoshaphat here is they were actually, they were over, they were under attack by a coalition of countries led by Moab. So you see Moab there. They had come together, as we'll see in the scripture, with, together to fight against Judah and to try to expand their territories um, into that realm. So let's do the passage. So it starts out, after this, the Moabites and Ammonites with some of the Moonites came to make war on Jehoshaphat. So they all combined together. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the sea. It is already in Hazazon, help me, Nina, Hazazon Tamar, that is in Gedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. You see his response? You see his response to the coming of this vast army? The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. So the first thing that we see is that um, they inquired of the Lord. We've got to get these principles in our lives. They inquired of the Lord. They did not focus on this vast army that was coming against them, against which they had no hope of being victorious. The first thing they did is, we better go connect with the Lord. We better inquire of the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, Lord, now listen how he talks about God. Lord, God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. O our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword or judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. And I want you to notice what they did. What I think they did here was they made a positive affirmation based on the Lord's character. They said, Lord, we know who you are. You are the one who prevailed. You are the one who gave us this land forever, and we appeal to your character, and we know that you are going to hear us, and you're going to answer us. So you see how they're making a positive affirmation based on the Lord's character. Now I want to tell you something. I'm not a big fan of the positive thinking school in general. And it's not that it's useless, but I just think that it, it, it's so much less than what is available to kingdom believers. Because positive thinking is generally based on your character, Todd. And so you go, I can do this. I can, I can resist this. I've got, and so positive thinking focuses on you. And I don't know about you, but my character isn't that great. I'll fall if I just focus on my own character. I need help from outside. And so this is different. This is not depending on your character. Just say good things and good things will happen. But they're appealing to the character of God. They're saying, God, because you are God, we know that you're going to save us. You see the difference? Say yes, or I'll start again. Okay, let's go on. But now, here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. 
See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance? Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. That's key. We don't have it. We need your help. We do, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. All the men of Judah with their wives and the children and the little ones stood there before the Lord. And they placed their circumstances under the character of God. They said, our circumstances don't look good. We've got a critical diagnosis from the doctor. I've got a pink slip from my wife. Whatever. Whatever you get. You say, I don't know how to fix this. You push it under the character of God. Push it under the character of God. Push it under the character of God. Hide it under God. Sweep it under the rug of God in your life and see what happens. When we were studying Colossians just last week, remember the Bible says that your life is now hidden with Christ in God, that you've been swept under the rug of God. So when you face these circumstances, don't respond to them like, oh, what am I going to do? Say, God, what are you going to do? I'm just going to be really fascinated. I'm scared, scared out of my mind, Lord, but I'm going to push these circumstances under your character. Is that okay? Yeah? Okay, I think I'm preaching better than you're paying attention, but it's okay. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Madaniah, a Levite and descendant of Asaph, as he stood in the assembly. So the Spirit of the Lord came. So the Lord's about to say something back to them. And he said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They'll be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. God responded with a promise of victory. Did you hear that? So they pushed their circumstances under the character of God. And God said, I've got this. He sent a messenger to say, God has this. God God will bring the victory. You guys just keep with it. You guys just keep your eyes on him. So what did they do? Well, Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down and worshipped before the Lord. Then some Levites from, from the Kohathites and the Korahites, remember the sons of Korah that we talked about way back, stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. What did they do? They praised the Lord. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you'll be successful. And what did they do? God responded, nope, went the wrong way. The people humbly and victoriously received the Lord's message. God said, here's what I'm going to do. And they said, we, what, they bowed down, bowed down with their face to the ground. And so we receive that, we receive that, we receive that. I see Christians every day come into this place, and they hear the word of God, and they're stirred by it. They're stirred by it. And somehow they've been persuaded that the stirring is the end of the matter, that the stirring is the end of the matter. God means to transform our lives. It's about embracing the word. It's about internalizing the word. It's about carrying the word. It's about inviting God to work his word deeply inside of you and humbly accepting the Lord's promise. 
Okay, here's where things get fun. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. That was a common song, that give thanks to the Lord. You'll find it throughout your Old Testament. It was just a common phrase to sing, Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. And I just want you to notice what Jehoshaphat did under the direction of the Lord because he sent those guys out first. They were the point of the arrow. And what was on the front of the arrow? Praise. So they made a poison arrow, right? They, made a po- they poisoned their arrow. They put something on there. It wasn't just an arrow. They, put some- they poisoned their arrow with praise, so they poisoned their arrows. I only work one day a week. I just wait for you all to show up, so i got to think this stuff up. They dipped their arrows in praise, and they were ready, and they're praising God, just waiting for the command. They dipped, they led with praise. Are you following this? This is much better than you seem. It's, isn't it, listen, isn't it a fascinating concept that aboriginal people learn just through, probably through trial and error to poison their dart tips and their arrow tips? And they would take frogs and various kinds of frogs that had toxins on their skin and they would render them down and dip the tips in this and so it would be fatal to their energy. Is that not fascinating to you? Have you not seen the movies? One of these, so they poisoned their arrows with praise and one of these frogs was the yellow-banded poison dart frog. That's the common name for it. And uh, it has a poison skin. It does. No, I'm saying it. And this uh, has a habitat mostly in northern parts of South America, predominantly, I love to tell this, in Brazil. And I love to tell that because we got high school kids, they all getting geared up to go into the very jungles where the yellow banded poison dart frog lives. And I'm just telling you, kids, don't eat that. Do not eat that, okay? Parents, I don't think you have to worry about your kids. If you taught them not to eat frogs, they should be fine. They probably have a greater chance of actually being shot by a poison arrow than eating that frog, encountering that, that particular frog, okay? So just... I don't think... Kids, I don't think, I don't think you will encounter this particular frog, but I, I'll give you 100% promise that you will encounter another frog. It's called the hay frog. That's my term for it, is the hay frog. And the reason it's called, I call it the hay frog is because of the sound it makes. It's a very, it's a very small frog, but it has a very big voice. And it goes, hey! <laughs> I'm serious. I'm serious. Right, Rich? Yeah. Hey! And uh, you, will find, you will hear that frog on your journey. I promise you that. The first time, our first trip to Brazil, we were way up the Moju River, which is a tributary to the Amazon, and we were, we like passed Tarzan. We were so far up there. I know, he's in Africa anyway, but anyway, I'm just saying that's how far past him we were. And we were up there, and there was nothing, and we came to this settlement of uh, probably 10 different houses, and one of them was a church, and it was a place that was up off the river, and, but it was all it built on a, like a bog, a mucky, miry thing. And so they had planks on posts about four feet off of the surface of this muck. And the, the planks were about this wide. They're about 10 inches wide. 
And so to get from one building to another, you had to walk on the plank, right? And if you saw somebody come down your section, you had to walk back so that they could walk down. And then you went. And their whole system of moving from building to building was on these planks because if you fell down in there, it was gross, right? And so the first night we were there, we got there. We, oh, man, we're in this boat all stinking day long. And we're up there, and we're all hot and sweaty. And we had this wonderful, amazing church service. And here's what's amazing about the people we encountered in Brazil. It's like, you know, we were up there like in our shorts and T-shirts and stuff, and we are sweaty and stinky and all this stuff, and we're going to have church tonight. Okay, and off we go, and you're going to preach. Okay, and off we go. And, and then as it starts, you think, well, there's nobody here. There's only like nine people who live in this settlement, right? But man, as time gets there, these people, they just start coming in out of the jungle like, like Field of Dreams in reverse. You know, they're just coming... <laughs> They just sort of materialize, you know. And, they, and, and Rich, am I right? The way they look, I mean, they, they're clean. They're, they look, their clothes are pressed. They, they've got their church clothes on. They look amazing. And, and you're standing there going, I suck. I pretty much. <laughs> and, but then they come together. And you guys that are going, oh, my gosh. Whew, you're going to get swept away in a worship you've never seen before. These people come. And when they come to church, when they come out of the jungle and just getting by, barely getting by, and they come to worship God, they ain't afraid of what anybody thinks about them. And they go for it. And you'll get swept up in there. You'll get drawn probably into a bunch of dancing people who will put you in line, and you'll go, I guess I'm dancing, and off you'll go. And it's amazing. The first night we were there, we went to bed about 10 o'clock that night and went up into this barn thing that, place that I called Hotel Tarantula, and you'd be, you'd be all right, kids, and, uh, and there were hammocks stretched every which way in this barn, you know, hammocks for short Brazilian people, and I got that one, and so, and we were told that after dark, the whole place is lit by a few lights, that you, so you can see the planks and stuff, but it's run by a generator, because there's no electricity up there. And so to conserve electricity, they shut the generator off at night. And so they said, okay, everybody's going to bed. And they they said this, we will sound a a horn or a bell or something, and then 10 minutes after that, the generator will go off. And we said, okay, we'll be listening. So we were up, and we had some Brazilian teenagers with us. We had a bunch of our own people, and we we were just having a blast up there, just goofing off, laying in hammocks, getting ready to go to sleep. And here was my strategy. I thought, when I hear that bell, I am going to go down, and I'm going to snake my way over to the outhouse oh you'll be all right kids and you know and then so that then I can come back and you know make it through the night enough said right and so we were laying there I'm listening and then suddenly the generator goes off and the lights go out and there was this moment of silence and then we all burst out laughing like I guess I missed the bell so I'm laying in my hammock thinking I'll be all right Don't ever think about that. (laughs) Don't ever think about it, or you're not all right, right? Don't think about it. So I'm laying there, I'll be all right. No, I'll be all right. Like half an hour, I'm not going to be all right. So I climb out. I got this little LED flashlight, and I'm looking along. Now, I'm not afraid of the dark. I walk in the dark on my farm at night and stuff like that, go down the creek, and it's it's cool. But, But I'm in the jungle, all right? on a plank that if I fall down, and, you know, so it's a little nervous, right? So I'm going on this thing, this plank, and 
get, trying to get way over there to where these outhouses are. And I get to the place where the plank terminates against a building. But that's okay, because the building has a little ledge on it like this that you've got to go around on that. Then you get on another plank and go to the bathroom, all right? So I got there, and I got over the terminates on there, and I'm like, oh, all right, I guess I've got to go here. And so here I am. I'm going like this, trying to get back there. Dark, Amazon jungle. And I hear, hey! <laughs> I didn't have to go to the bathroom anymore. <laughs> You'll be all right, because that guy will go away. Okay, there you go. All right. They led with praise. They poisoned the tip of their arrows with praise. Just like Jesus taught us to pray. How do you say to start? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. They led with praise. And when you lead with praise, things will fall in front of you. If you keep reading through that passage, you'll see that God conquered their enemies. You'll see that they came back and they thanked God again. But he led with praise. And that's what we're called to do today, beloved. We're called to lead with praise. I don't know what you're up against. I don't know what you would define as your enemies. But don't lead with fear. Don't even lead with faith. Lead with praise. Praise God over it. Praise God over the things that you face. I was out on the wall this morning. I was praying, God, what do you want to do today? It's your church. What do you want to do? And the word of the Lord that I got was, was call them to praise me over their hard targets. Here's what I think he means. So you know how in your life you've got all these things that you wish were better? And they're kind of soft targets. You know, they're things that if God would move, you'd be so grateful. But then you just got a few of them. It's like, no, that's got to change. Right? Something's got to happen there. That's a hard target. That's a hard target. And what I was hearing the Lord say is invite people to come and just bring to mind their hard target. No, I mean, don't bring everything. Just bring one hard target and then praise me over them. Don't praise the target. Praise God over it. Lead with praise. Lead with praise and watch God rout your enemies. You got a hard target. If you're a person who has a hard target, you can visualize that. Come on up right now. You got a hard target. You just want to come up. You can know you know exactly what I mean by that. I'm not even going to make a suggestion as to what they could be. When I say hard target, something's got to change right there. Come on up. Come on up. Come on up. And what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you just to bring that hard target to your mind and then Start praising God over it. Just start releasing words of praise to God over it. Okay? Don't fight it. Don't say, I've got my sword drawn and I'm ready to... Nope. Just start praising God over it. Lead with praise over your hard target. Praise means releasing, releasing admiration for God. Just release admiration for God. For whatever comes to your mind. Whatever, his holiness, His righteousness, His power... His love. 
He's so many things. Just praise God. Just praise God over your hard target. Don't fight it. Don't declare the victory. Don't take the next step. Just praise God over it, okay? Just bring it in. Lay it in front of you. And start praising God. Just like the armies of Jehoshaphat did. They just said, give thanks to the Lord. Our God and King, His love endures forever. Praise God over it. Praise God. You say, but I hate looking at it. Well, don't look at it. Praise God over it. Praise God over it. Praise. See, what you're doing when you do that is you're, you're exposing the target for the Lord. You know, in military, sometimes they'll send somebody, somebody on the ground, some boots on the ground, just to, just to expose the target, just to define the target. And what you're doing right now is you're just pulling, pulling away the covering from the target. Now praise God over it. Praise God over it. Praise God over the target. Just praise Him. Release the praise. Say hallelujah. We praise You, Lord. Praise You. Praise You. What you're doing here is you're fighting a spiritual battle with spiritual weapons. You're fighting a spiritual battle with spiritual weaponry. Ephesians 5 says that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against all these dark forces in the evil of the spiritual realms. And so it's important to fight a spiritual war with spiritual weapons. And praise, praise is a spiritual weapon. It's a weapon. And you can fire that weapon right now. Don't fire it at the target. Just praise God over it. Just the way these guys did. A vast army was coming against them. They didn't have a hope of, of, of standing. And they just praised God. Praise God. Just praise God.